Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You see, walking is the most common metaphor in the Bible for our relationship with God. Over 300 times, the Old Testament uses the word walk or walking. That's what the Christian life is. It's going the same direction, obeying God over a period of time. And when you do that, you end up at your desired destination. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Sometimes the Bible uses running as a metaphor for the Christian life. But more often, the Christian life is compared to walking with God. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress presents four simple principles from the life of Abraham that will transform your relationship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. You often hear me say that becoming a Christian is not a one-time event. Yes, becoming a Christian starts the day you trust in Christ as your Savior, but your salvation is only the beginning of your walk with God. Every morning when you wake up, you're starting a whole new day in Christ. Right now on Pathway to Victory, I'm presenting a brand new teaching series called Walking by Faith. In this study, we're tracing the footsteps of the grand patriarch of Old Testament faith, Abraham, the friend of God. As we see how Abraham engaged with the Lord, we learn wonderful lessons about our personal walk with God today. Now, to help you grow closer to God, I've written a brand new book for you called Walking by Faith. At its core, my book is a practical tutorial on how to connect with God throughout the day. Yes, prayer is part of that connection, but walking with God includes so many other wonderful opportunities to engage with Him. Please request your copy of my book, Walking by Faith. I'm pleased to send it to your home when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. And by the way, today's message includes far more teaching than we could include in this half-hour program. Later on, David will explain how you can receive the unedited CDs and DVDs so that you can hear the complete presentation. More information later in the program, but right now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 17 for a message I've titled, Walking with Your God. A number of years ago, I heard Chuck Swindoll recount an article on the advantages of walking versus running. The article said in part, walking places less stress on your body. There is a less risk of injury. And if you walk fast enough, five miles an hour for 45 minutes or more, you can achieve just as much as if you were running. But it was the last sentence in that article that caught my attention. It said, walking is not a glamorous sport. It has none of the panache of, let's say, mountain climbing. Walking sounds so humdrum, so pedestrian, but at the right pace and with regularity, it can be the best thing you can do for your body. Then Chuck made this application to the Christian life. He said, Christian living is not glamorous. Walking with God has none of the panache of, say, miraculous healings or speaking in tongues or being slain in the spirit. Walking with God sounds so humdrum, so pedestrian, 
But done at the right pace and with regularity, walking with God can be the best thing you can do for your soul. Today, we're going to look at a great illustration from the life of Abraham about what it means to walk with God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 17. What's involved with walking with God? I want you to notice from Genesis 17, this account of Abraham's life, four components of what it means for you and me to walk with God. First of all, it begins with waiting on God's timing. Waiting on God's timing. Look at verse one of chapter 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now, I want you to underscore 99, his age of 99. There's a reason we're given that detail. The last verse of chapter 16 tells us Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. And now it is 13 years later when God comes back and speaks to Abraham again. Think about it. Abraham went 13 years without hearing from God. 13 years of silence. Frankly, we want to hear from God regularly, don't we? The most important thing to understand is we need to wait on God. Part of walking with God means waiting on God to answer in his way and according to his timetable. Abraham learned that after 13 years of waiting to hear from God. Walking with God, secondly, involves trusting in God's power. Trusting in God's power. Remember what God had promised to Abraham when he was 60 years of age. He's now 99. But at 60 years of age, he said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. His name, Abram, that was his original name, meant exalted father. He didn't have any children, but he was named exalted father. So he finally, after 15 years of a side trip to Haran, makes it to the promised land And for 10 years, he's in the promised land between 75 and age 85 without any child whatsoever. No wonder he and Sarah were interested in that tryst with Hagar to try to bring an end to that humiliation of having no children. And now we come to chapter 17. Abram's 99 years old. And God said, you know that promise I made for you and Sarah, not you and Hagar, but you and Sarah, I'm going to fulfill it. But in the meantime, I'm going to give you a new name. It's not just going to be Abram, exalted father. Your name is going to be Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. Abram thought, oh, well, just what I need. He could just picture people coming up and said, oh, what is your name? Father of multitude, how many children do you have? One. How many? One. But Abram never lost faith. He kept trusting in God for those next 13 years as he waited and waited and waited for God to answer his promise. I want to show you something interesting about Abraham's faith, about his trust in God's power. Look at Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 18, the passage that we just read together. In hope against hope, Abraham believed so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, 
now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Notice two components of Abraham's trust in God's uh, promise. First of all, he focused on the bleakness of his circumstances. He trusted, on the bleak, trusted in the bleakness of his circumstances. Verse 19 says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Well, listen to me. Having faith doesn't mean you play like you don't have any challenges or promises. It means accurately assessing your situation, no matter how bleak it is. God had said, Abram, I'm gonna make you the father of a multitude. And Abram gets up every morning, looks in the mirror and says, I'm gonna be a father. I look more like a cast member from the walking dead than I do a father of a multitude. He looks at himself, he gets discouraged. He looks over at his wife, he doesn't find an encouragement there. She's 90 years old. As one person said, her womb had become a tomb. She had no capability of producing children either. He was being very honest about his situation. No, trusting in God's power doesn't mean denying the reality of your situation, but it means not only focusing on your bleak circumstances, but focusing on the greatness of your God. That's what Abraham did. It says in verse 20, verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he didn't waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You see, whenever you look at your circumstances and you compare them to your own strength and ability, you're going to get discouraged because you're going to realize that your problems are bigger than you are. But Abraham didn't make that mistake. Instead of focusing just on his circumstances and his own abilities, he focused on the greatness of God. And you know what? He came to the conclusion that God was bigger than his problems. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is bigger than your circumstances, no matter how dire they are? Just ask yourself this question. What circumstance in your life could not God change in an instant if he wanted to? God has the ability to perform. That's exactly what the scripture says about Abraham. He believed that God was able to perform a miracle. I want to show you something very interesting I just discovered. Go back to chapter 17, verse 1 of Genesis. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. That Hebrew word for God Almighty is El Shaddai. It's the first time it's used in the Bible. Up to this point, God had been known as Elohim, which means the creator God, the God who made everything. But now, God identifies himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. In other words, he's not only the God who creates everything, he's the God who controls everything. It's one thing to believe that God in an instant created the sun and the moon and the stars and everything we see. But it's another thing to believe that the same God who created the sun and the moon controls the sun and the moon. And if he wants to, he can stop them in their tracks, just like he would do for Joshua. The same is true for you. The deist used to believe that God 
just kind of created everything, wound it up like an alarm clock, and then left creation on its own. No, God says, I'm the one who's intricately involved in every detail in this world and every detail in your life as well. That's the kind of God that Abraham believed in. What does it mean to walk with God? It means to wait on God's timing. Secondly, it means to trust in God's power. Thirdly, walking with God, now this is key, involves listening to God's voice. Listening to God's voice. Look at verse 3 of chapter 17. Abram fell on his face and God talked to him. Now, when we talk about prayer, we're talking about our talking to God. And that's great. We ought to pray. Jesus encouraged us to pray. But where in your schedule is there time for you to allow God to speak to you? How does God speak to us? One way he speaks to us is through his word. But we need to be sure we're listening to the right things God is saying to us. Let me just mention four things God will talk to you about if you listen to him carefully. First of all, he sometimes talks to you about sins that need to be abandoned in your life. If you ask God to honestly point out to you anything that is wrong in your life that is displeasing to him, he will answer it. Sometimes God speaks to us about relationships that need to be mended, that need to be healed. That's what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 5, verse 23, when he said, if you're presenting your sacrifices at the altar and then remember somebody has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, people misinterpret this verse all the time. They think Jesus said, if you're worshiping and remember you have something against somebody else, just leave your worship and go and see if you can shake an apology out of them <laughs> so you can get back to worship. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not if you have something against somebody else. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, if you're in the temple praying and you remember you've got something against somebody else, forgive him. Right there in the pew where you are, you don't have to go and talk to him. You forgive him. You have the ability to do this. No, this is a different situation. You remember that there's somebody who has something against you. It's time for you to quit worshiping and go talk to that person and seek their forgiveness to try to make a wrong right. In 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul said there are two essentials for living the Christian life, faith and a clear conscience. You know what a clear conscience is? It's the assurance that neither God nor anyone else can accuse you of a wrong you haven't attempted to make right. It's not that they can't accuse you of a wrong, we all have done wrong, but is there anybody out there who can accuse you of wrong that you've not attempted to make right with that person? That's what God will speak to you about, relationships that need to be mended. Thirdly, he might speak to you about gifts to offer. Second Corinthians eight, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give generously like the Macedonians. They gave not out of their riches, but out of their poverty. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3, Paul said that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, and they first gave of themselves to the Lord. And then finally, are there commands to be followed? 
That's one thing God will speak to you about. A command that needs to be obeyed. David prayed in Psalm 119, 34, give me understanding of your word that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. David prayed, give me understanding of your word. That's what Psalm 119 is about. It's about the word of God. Give me understanding. Why? So that I might be a great teacher of the Bible. No. It's so that I personally may observe everything you've commanded me to do. The words of one of my mentors rings in my ears every time I read that passage. He said, remember, God didn't give us the Bible to make us smarter sinners. He gave us the Bible to make us more obedient disciples, followers of Christ. Are there commands to be followed? Well, that's what God spoke to Abraham about. When Abraham fell down on his face before the Lord, the Lord gave him a command. Look at verse 19 of chapter, pardon me, verse 10 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, without going into graphic detail, you understand circumcision is the removal of the foreskin from the male organ. And actually, that was an ancient practice long before Abraham hit the scene. Pagans did it, and it symbolized various things. But God took a formerly pagan exercise and attached a new meaning to it, a spiritual reality. Same thing with baptism, by the way, for Christians today. Baptism used to be used by pagans to identify with certain cultic religions. God took baptism and attached a new meaning to it. It would be of meaning, a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. We died to our own way of living. We've been raised to a newness of living. Well, in Abram's day, circumcision, God changed the meaning to be an identifier, to be a way of identifying with God's covenant promise. It represented the removal of the foreskin from the male organ. It was a picture of the removal of sin from a person's heart. Of course, it was an outward ritual that meant nothing apart from an inward reality. Circumcision was a, an arrow that pointed to what Christ would do for us on the cross. He came not to perform a circumcision of the flesh, but of our heart, to remove our sin nature from us. Paul made that application in Colossians 2.11. He said, and in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That was the command God gave Abraham. This is the first time circumcision was mentioned in the Bible. And that leads us to the fourth element of walking with God. It's not only listening to God's voice to what he commands us to do, but fourthly, it's obeying God's commands. I want to show you something very interesting. Look at verse 23. How did Abraham respond to God's command? Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. He obeyed God completely 
and immediately. He did it in the very same day. Now, I'm gonna walk on sensitive ground here without being too graphic. Let me just say, remember in Abraham's day, there were no surgeon's scalpels. There was no anesthetic. There wasn't even Tylenol. If you were gonna do a circumcision, guess what you had? You either had a knife or the sharp end of a rock and no way to dull the pain. You can understand if Abraham might have been a little reluctant to do this to himself as well as to other people. But he had an immediate response to what God commanded. He obeyed God that very same day. And we'll see the same pattern in Abraham in chapter 22, when God gives him the hardest test of his entire life, when he tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your beloved son, Isaac, on the altar. And the Bible says the very next morning, Abraham arose and took his son to the mountain of sacrifice. This willingness to obey God completely and immediately, I think, explains why Abraham was known as the friend of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 15, 14? You are my friends if you get all warm fuzzies when you worship me. You are my friend if you win people to faith in Jesus Christ. You are my friend if you get baptized. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. How do you know if you're a friend of God? Are you doing what God commands you to do. That's what it means to walk with God. Are there some things in your life that God has told you to start doing that you haven't obeyed yet? Are there some things God has told you to stop doing that you haven't stopped yet? You know, somebody said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. For most of us, the problem is not a lack of information. It's a lack of application. And that's what walking with God is all about. It's about waiting on God's timing, trusting in God's power, listening to God's voice, and obeying God's commands. Yes, it's pedestrian and may seem humdrum, but it's the best thing you and I can do for our spiritual health. Nothing will impact your spiritual health any more than learning to walk with God. That's what this teaching series is all about. As you're ready to elevate your friendship with God, be sure to get in touch with Pathway to Victory. We created a variety of resources to facilitate your spiritual walk, each one tailored to address this one primary goal, learning to walk with God. First, I've written a book to help you take your initial steps. It's brand new, and it's called Walking by Faith, A Study of the Life of Abraham. And a copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, we prepared a companion discussion guide to help you go deeper on this topic with your friends or small group Bible study. David will explain in a moment how to receive the study guidebook as well. Then remember that Pathway to Victory is pleased to offer DVD video recordings and CD audio recordings of all my teaching series, including this one called Walking by Faith. 
This format is helpful to many of our listeners because these DVD and CD recordings are unedited. Today's message, for example, was edited down to fit inside our half-hour program, but the original presentation was much longer. David is going to repeat all this information right now, so please take a few minutes to request the materials of interest to you. And thanks again for your generous support of Pathway to Victory. God is using our partnership to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress titled, Walking by Faith. Call 866-999-2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. And when you give $75 or more to support this ministry, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Walking by Faith teaching series, along with a study guide. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You can also write to us. Here's our mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend. Then join us again next time when our study of the life of Abraham continues, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Imagine waking up to the sight of Alaska's majestic coastline or spotting wildlife from the deck of a luxurious cruise ship. Experience these unforgettable moments on the Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Relax with us in Alaska and I guarantee you'll come home spiritually and physically refreshed. To book your spot on the 2024 Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska, go to ptv.org.